Today's scripture reading will be from Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 32. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 32. This is the reading of God's holy, infallible word. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The grass withers a flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. All right, much time has passed, so I'm going to just jump right into it. Okay, I, I will aim to finish before 1230, okay? Uh, opening question for all of you. If you knew that you were going to soon die and you had just one message to share with your loved ones, what would that message be? Would it be something our culture loves to tell us, such as, you do you? You know, I love you so much, I just want you to, you do you, man, right? Or maybe it would be something I once heard a mom share with her son at a high school graduation banquet. You know, he was about to leave home and go to college, and she told him, I mean, she had one chance, right? She told him, son, whatever you do, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy, right? Brothers and sisters, would you want those to be your final words to your loved ones? Think carefully because what you share in that moment would truly reveal what you value most in this life. In 2008, I was given a chance to give my final message to the youth group I served for eight full years. And after carefully considering what, what I should share, I decided to preach from the chapter that opened my eyes 
to the greatness of God's sovereign love. And that chapter was Malachi chapter 1, which contains these words from God. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. If you ask me then, <laughs> those were, that, that verse was my favorite verse at the time. It was not a message of, you do you, my students, nor was it a message of, students, whatever you do, I just want you to be happy. Rather, it was a message that was meant to humble my students before a sovereign God who chooses to love the Jacobs of this world, not because they deserve to be loved, but because God is merciful to sinners, and he often gives to sinners what they don't deserve. But the passage also speaks of a God who chooses to condemn the Esau's of this world because condemnation is what the Esau's of this world deserve. And God is completely just to condemn whom he chooses to condemn. And, and God's choices, whether it's to extend justice or mercy, are based ultimately not in who we are, but according to his sovereign Will And so this message was the call to be humble before this great, almighty, sovereign God. And I mentioned that example because humility is what the Apostle Paul was aiming for in his final message to the elders of the Ephesian church in our passage today. Let me briefly remind you of the context, okay? Paul had completed his three missionary journeys but before he heads back to Jerusalem where he will be captured, imprisoned, and eventually put to death, he asked the elders from the Ephesian church, a church he planted three years ago, to gather together so that he could speak to them just one last time. And I would summarize his final message to them with these simple words. Brothers, serve the Lord and his people with humility, just as I have shown you. I've been an example to you. And serve God and his people with humility would be the way I, would, I summarize his message. I mean, he begins the message with, with these very words. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot on Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, he opens up. And with these words, he's describing his ministry to them over the past three years. He says he served them with all humility. And he mentions that because he's hoping that as he's about to depart, never see them again, he's hoping that these elders of the church would continue to minister to God's people in the same way, with humility, with tears and trials. Now there's much I can share from this passage, but with the limited time I have with you today, I want to focus in on this one idea, the idea of, of humility that characterized Paul's ministry as an apostle. The problem is that I think when most people think of the apostle Paul, humility is not the first quality that comes to mind. Can we be honest? It wouldn't surprise me if some of you have perceived Paul to actually be rather arrogant and proud as we've been examining his life and ministry over the past few months. 
And if that's the case, I believe that it's because we have allowed this confused culture we're living in to distort what humility actually is. You know, sadly, we've been trained to think that humility means that we are never to claim to know the truth and that we should never condemn sin as sin. We think that's humility. Have you noticed, brothers and sisters, that if the world expresses some form of moral outrage over something that happens, no matter how inconsistent the world may be, many Christians have no problem hopping on that bandwagon. But if God expresses moral outrage over something, many of those same Christians think that it's arrogant to openly agree with what God says so clearly. There was once a visitor who mentioned how disappointed she was. This is several years ago, so don't guess who it is, right? 90, 99% of you don't know, okay? <clears throat> she was expressing how disappointed she was that her home church was not doing anything to serve the transgender community. And I didn't know her at all at the time, and I didn't know where she stood on that particular issue. So I simply said, look, I think churches need some more time, because again, it was many years ago, transgenderism really wasn't a thing until then, and just became like the hot topic of the day. And I said, look, I think churches need to uh, spend more time to discern how to serve, how to, how to best serve the transgender community. But I wasn't going to let her make me feel bad about what Scripture clearly teaches either. So I also told her that the basic question of whether transgenderism is sinful is clear from the Bible. And after I said that, she didn't seem interested to continue with the conversation, and later I found, found out where she stood, and clearly she was on the wrong side of the issue. But is it just me? Is it just me, or do you also get the impression that sometimes certain so-called Christians, and even Christian leaders of our day, want you to feel sorry for what the Bible clearly teaches? That's the impression I sometimes get, and it's troubling, let me share uh, with you just a couple ideas that are very popular in our day. And I just want you to uh, just see how these kinds of words make you feel. Okay, try this on for size and see how it makes you feel. I just have two, two points I want to make. These are not my words, so I'm just, you know, <laughs> I want to share something that I, I think uh, is popular in our day and see if this resonates with you. Number one, the Christian faith is our way of being faithful to God, but it's not the only way, right? Imagine if I preached like that one Sunday, right? Christianity is truth for us, but it is not the only truth. Please don't splice this segment and post it on social media, okay? The power of the Christian faith that transforms lives does not require it to be exclusively true. Exclusivity is born out of fear, the fear that there is one train to God, and if you aren't on that right train, you'll go to hell. 
We are enlightened now. We believe that there are many trains and God welcomes them all. Let me ask you this. Does that sound humble to you? Does that feel right to you? Or how about this? Love of neighbor includes direct affirmation of the LGBTQ plus community and of people of all other faith traditions and even those who are our enemies. And the key word there is affirmation. If you don't affirm, then you're not truly loving. That is the claim. Do you know where this is from? It's from an organization that promotes what is called progressive Christianity. Okay, that's what they call themselves, okay? It's lifted from their own page, so don't accuse me of name-calling. This is their language. Progressive Christians, as understood in these terms, are not true Christians. They may sound humble to some of you, but the truth is that they are the most arrogant kind of people because they take what they claim to be God's word and they teach the exact opposite of what God's word says. And that is not humility. That is sheer arrogance, and they will be condemned for promoting such lies. But this is a spirit of the age, isn't it? We've been trained to think that being inclusive toward all beliefs is the ultimate expression of humility. So here's the thing. If you interpret Paul's ministry from this perspective, there is nothing humble about Paul. According to this perspective, the most humble Christian who reveres God would be viewed to be the most hateful and the most arrogant person. It'd be completely opposite. And the most spiritually lukewarm and faith-obscuring person would be considered to be the most humble person of our day based on this perspective. So brothers and sisters, please, as Cornerstone members, please do not let the world define what humility is. You'll end up in the exact opposite camp. Humility can only be defined by God, and true humility is defined by the relationship one has with God. In other words, if you are not first humble before God, who has no equal, then you have no idea what humility actually is. Right? The rejection of God is, by definition, the pinnacle of pride and arrogance. And submission to God and worship of God is by definition what humility is. And only when you understand humility in relationship to God will you be able to see Paul as truly one who faithfully served with all humility, right? Because I cannot think of any other apostle who was as committed as Paul in putting the Lord first in his life. Even if it meant that his relationship with Peter would be jeopardized, Paul put God first, remember? Right? The integrity of the gospel came first for Paul. And that's how humility should be understood at the most basic level. 
And so with that said, I'd like to briefly mention, I'm going to try to do three points here, just briefly. I had four, but I'm going to try to shrink this, okay? I'd like to briefly mention three ways in which humility is displayed in Paul's message to the elders. And there's more, like there's actually more, but let's just do three for time's sake, okay? Number one, humility means that you will esteem God and his grace above your own life, okay? God and his grace up here, your life down here. Here's one of my life verses that we covered two weeks ago, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value as precious nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What a... What a great verse that is. So important to keep that priority in mind because what happens, brothers and sisters, when the opposite holds true? What happens, brothers and sisters, when you actually do account your life as precious to yourself and when your life is more valuable than testifying of the gospel, the grace of God, what happens then? Well, we've seen what happens, at least to some degree, over the past couple of years, haven't we? We've seen what happens. What happens is churches decide to shut down. What happens is Christians refuse to take any risks, and they drift farther and farther away from one another and from the Lord. I'm sure some of you know Christians who have refused to meet with those who are unvaccinated. That's what happens when you begin to account your life more precious than you ought to. You neglect the more important things. In contrast, I know Christians who have recently traveled to Poland and Spain to assist with the Ukraine refugee crisis. And I'm not saying that we should all of a sudden send some people there ourselves just to follow suit, but my question is this, and I ask this to myself as well, as I was reflecting on the passage, why haven't we considered doing something similar? Why haven't we considered taking any risks during this time? I mean, going to Poland and Spain is not even the riskiest thing we can do, but it's not even in our radar because we've been so conditioned to avoid risk as much as possible over the past two years. Brothers and sisters, Let's not account our lives as more precious than testifying of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? If that is what we are becoming or have already become, we desperately need to repent of our self-obsession and begin to treasure the Lord and his word once again. Let's recalibrate our hearts. Let's reprioritize our faith. Number two, and lump it up with three, so number two. (laughs) Humility means that you know that apart from God's grace, and Kathy professed this too earlier, apart from God's grace, you will fall away from him for certain. And it's not just you, but it's, it's families and communities, churches, denominations, cultures and societies and nations. 
Verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Paul says that first. Pay careful attention to yourselves at the individual level. Speaking to the elders. But first, pay attention to yourselves, basically, lest you fall. And then he says in verse 29, that there will be fierce wolves that will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And what's shocking is this, he says, they will even come from among your own selves. Cornerstone, you think we're somehow immune? You think we're better than the Ephesian church? There will be fierce wolves that will arise from even among you, speaking twisted things to draw people away from the Lord. So this is humbling. Right? And so apart from God's grace, yes, anyone can fall. That's why we're given this instruction, pay careful attention to ourselves. I'm no exception. Should you view me as capable of falling away from the Lord apart from God's grace? Of course. Of course. I made plenty of mistakes. I apologize to plenty of people over the course of my ministry here. I'm not an exception. And this applies to the family and to our community as well. And let me just mention maybe, I'll give you some insight into what's going on in the Bang family, okay? Just how, we, how I've chosen to apply this, at least in this season. I mean, it was already clear that this was happening with uh, the Disney company. I was just, you know, watching some of their new, new shows coming out, new movies. I mean, it was like, what is this, all this like woke ideology penetrating these stories? It was clear as day, but... Um, if you didn't know, uh, there was this video Zoom call that got leaked, and it exposed the, the executives at Disney essentially, you know, having this agenda of using their platform, their stories to essentially, you know, shove this ideology down kids' throats. Um, and so I ended up, this is painful to do because I know how my kids so love, you know, the Disney stuff. <laughs> I, I ended up canceling our Disney Plus subscri subscription for now, okay? I know that might sound trivial to you, and perhaps it is, but, you know, my, my text to one of my kids who was in the middle of watching a series from Disney Plus went like this. Okay, I'll just read what I wrote. Um, I'm sorry to do this but I canceled Disney Plus to send a message that they've gone too far with their wokeness and sexual agenda. We'll see how they respond to the public's pushback, but if there's no change in their leadership or in the direction of their company, we will not be resubscribing. They're explicitly trying to brainwash kids through their stories to make kids think that homosexuality and transgenderism and any gross sin is completely normal and I cannot keep giving them my money to support their agenda. And I got no response, but uh, <laughs> it, was clear, it was clear that uh, the kid was not happy initially, but, you know, 
seems fine, but that's how it goes sometimes. You know, you just got to put your foot down and make a decision and lead. It's going to happen at the church too. You know, you think, you think you're an exception? You know, some of you in the past have been surprised that I would think of you in a certain way. Pastor Paul, how could you think that we could possibly dot, 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 you know? Hey, I don't think too highly of myself, as I've already confessed. Why do you think I would, you know, think highly of you? Huh? Aren't we all in the same boat, the same sinners? You know, prone to the same kinds of sins? Oh, we're not like that. No. You are exactly like that, too. Okay? <laughs> no one is immune from stupidity and sin, right? Amen? Uh, all of us are utterly dependent upon the grace of God. You should also pray for our denomination because it's going through a lot of drama as well as most of our culture is. You know, every institution goes through a life cycle, uh, you know, including Christian denominations. There's a, a season of healthy growth, and then there's a, a peak in growth and a gradual decline. It happens to any, any institution, schools, churches, denominations. And the bigger you are, the more prone you are to become infected by sin and worldliness. The PCA is not that big, but it's big enough. And I believe that it's been in a gradual decline for a few years already. And unless God grants our denomination a spiritual revival, I suspect that in 20 to 30 years, it will be much like what the CRC denomination is today. And if you don't know, don't know what that denomination is, that's fine. It's, basically, I'm saying it'll be a no-good denomination that none of us should be a part of if things don't change. If you didn't know, Kevin DeYoung was a member of the CRC and he transferred out to the PCA, right? One of my favorite current pastors and theologians. And I'm not saying the PCA is in decline because of him, so don't, don't mistake me. <laughs> I'm glad he's a part of the PCA. The PCA is in decline in spite of him, okay? Lastly, humility means that you will not be afraid to speak truthfully because ultimately, brothers and sisters, we are all held accountable to God. We cannot be afraid to speak God's truth. Verse 20, I want you to feel just the tension in Paul's heart, the, the pressure he must have felt during his own ministry when times are much more difficult than they are now. I mean, you think times are hard now for Christians? It was much harder back then. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So basically, in, in public and in private, I did not shrink. In other words, I didn't buckle under pressure. Verse 26 says similar thing. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. How tempting it is for the pastor to just share a tiny bit of the counsel of God, not the whole counsel. I love that Paul clarifies what, he, what, he's, what his ministry was about. It was about declaring the whole counsel of God and not just choosing what was convenient for him to say. You know, 
after reflecting, well, as I was reflecting upon this chapter, I thought of some of the unpopular but truthful things I had to say to you in the past. And I, I really hope that I've been a good example of what it means to not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Early on, I I shared in a very critical way of the abuses that were taking place in the charismatic movement, including IHOP, that became sort of Nova Hop here. That's how it manifested here. There's talk about holy dust falling from the ceilings. Like, what? Where? I can't see. Where is this holy dust? This teaching about how you need to hear God's voice through some mystical experience. And if you didn't hear God's voice audibly, something's wrong with you. So there were like these training seminars instructing you how to hear God's voice. And there's so much pressure to, what? I gotta go, I guess I gotta go hear God's voice, right? And then these young students, especially in college, they, they were basically addicted to seeking out this extra-biblical revelation, extra-biblical meaning stuff outside of Scripture. They became so reliant upon seeking out the latest, you know, super prophet in the area or, you know, super apostle, right, wanting to hear from him. Like, what did you dream last night sort of thing? Tell me, please pray over me some words of prophecy, Instead of being content with God's word revealed before you, that's, that's, that's what the addiction was. Led to a very unhealthy spirituality. It wasn't easy to speak out against because there was a few people that cautioned me, they warned me not to be critical of IHOP at the time. I spoke out against the materialism of Nova, right, that I'm also that I also have struggled with. I, I've rebuked the passive man and the strong-headed woman that is common in our society and culture. That turned off quite a few. Many people did not like that. They left. I spoke out against the sexual revolution and the negative effects of the LGBTQ movement in our day. That seemed like a no-brainer to me. More recently, the dangers of centralized power, whether it's coming from the government or big tech, was pointed out, and how Christians ought to understand the relationship between church and state, especially in view of the unlawful and unjustified government mandates we've been asked to live under for the past couple years. Also more recently, this, this caused a a scene. I critique the BLM organization and the modern-day social justice movement, a.k.a. cultural Marxism, or some just simply call it woke ideology. And this stuff is, it's literally, literally destroying our country at a pretty rapid pace. All things that are not comfortable to Speak on. Someone recently asked, Pastor, why can't we just focus on what the Bible teaches? And I can honestly sympathize with 
the concerns people may have, right, since I also, believe it or not, prefer not to speak on issues that are considered political. But can we be honest? The, the reality is this, whether we like it or not, right, even the most basic issues that are clearly taught in Scripture unfortunately have been politicized. Everything is, we live in a hyper-politicized country, do we not? You can't talk about anything then, right? Sexuality, gender, marriage, you know, like murdering babies in the womb, the proper role of government, what true justice is and is not, what racism is and is not. We can't talk about these things because they're politicized. Nonsense. So I don't think it's possible to simply say, why can't we just focus on what the Bible teaches? Because Let's face it, the Bible offers clear teaching on all of the above issues. And I do not believe it's right or, or humble to avoid issues just because people may be politically divided on a given issue. As you know, some political views in our day are absolutely wicked and wrong and completely inconsistent with the Christian faith, and there will be times when I need to make that much clear as a faithful preacher and teacher of God's word. In gray areas, which are plenty, I will choose to remain silent for the most part, unless I have to make it clear that this is a gray area, right? But on the so-called black and white issues, I need to be more forceful and clear, and that is what I try to consistently do because it's it surprised me that so many Christians are confused as to what is a black and white issue and what is a clear-cut issue, right? I mean, they treat everything as just like, oh, a negotiable thing, you know. We can agree to disagree. No. On many things, you, you can't disagree. As a Christian, you must agree because it's so clear-cut. And so I hope that you will find my example worth following. Brothers and sisters, let's strive to be a humble people, but let's not confuse humility with cowardliness. When you esteem God and his grace above your own life, you will not be afraid to speak truthfully for the sake of God's glory and his honor. Let's pray together. Dear Father, when the nation's Rage and plot against you. You sit enthroned in heaven and you laugh at the folly of it all. And you call all people to be wise, including kings and rulers of the most powerful nations, to kiss your son and to serve you, lest we all perish under your holy wrath. So may your word today give us the right perspective, O Lord, that we may humble ourselves before your greatness and respond to your tender mercies revealed to us in Christ. And though life can be extremely hard to bear at times, Lord, give us the grace to echo scripture and earnestly profess that we do not count our lives as precious to ourselves, if only we may finish the course and testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand together. Peace to God.